The views and opinions expressed. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash swoopsworld. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com forward slash swoopsworld. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Swoops World, right here on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Swoops World, where you get all you need to know about arts, culture, news, and happiness. Our number, if you want to give us a call tonight, is 562-912-3444. You can always email us at swoopsworld at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, if you want to give us a call, that number is 562-912-3444. Now just sit back and enjoy Another edition of Swoops World on the new Talk Story Radio Network. edition of Swoops World Late Night. It is August 3rd, 2016. Got off to a little late start, but looking forward to a big night. Uh, guest tonight is a good friend and uh, a real dear friend of mine and who is a first-time author, uh, Jack Scruble. We'll have to have him on. And then uh, following Jack, the great Notre Dame killer uh, from USC, Anthony Davis, will be joining us. But uh, we've got a full night ahead. Jack's got a new book out. We're going to chat with Jack about that in just a little bit, get to know him a little bit better. And and share some information on uh, where you can get that book. Uh, I've read it. It's great. It's outstanding, and you're gonna lo- you're gonna love it. And you're gonna love the interview with Jack. We're gonna get right into it because we got a little late start. Gonna take our first quick break. Come back and get everything kicked off. You're listening to Swoops Road on the Talk Story Radio Network. And uh, I'll take a quick break and be back to get things rolling. Hey, how you doing? This is Joe Walsh. I'm speaking on behalf of Rad. It's okay to rock and roll, right? But don't drive home drunk. If you're drunk, call me up. I have a limo. I'll come and get you. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. At 7, I shower. Every day I wake up For at those five. caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community to help us better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You are listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. And welcome back to Swoops World. We'd like to welcome our guest tonight, Jack Struble. Welcome to the show, Jack. Thanks for having me, Keith. Looking forward to uh, finding out all about what's going on. For our listeners who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I know you were born in Iowa. 
But tell us a little bit about where you grew up and uh, how you got things, what you've done, what you've done over the years. Hey, listen, other than the fact that we're a swing state, don't hold that against me. <laughs> but no, I, 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 I was born and raised in Sioux City, Iowa. I uh, came out here, oh gosh, longer than I care to think about. I came out, my family moved out here. Uh, I stayed, went to school, uh, went to college, met uh, the, my sweetheart, who I've been married to for over 30 years. Ah. And, uh, you know, I went on the LAPD. Uh, I finished up my career in the major narcotics section. And um, after I retired in 2003, I, you know, I, I'd already had a business established and so on a consulting in business. So what I do is I consult with uh, corporations and people in the entertainment business uh, regarding uh, investigations and security. Wow, yeah, I know you, you've had a, a business for quite quite some time, and, you, and you've been very successful in that. What uh, what motivated you to write a book? You know, Keith, the funny thing is, and this may have happened to you too over the years because of what we did for a living, you know, being cops. And people, I said, oh, Jack, you have such great stories. Tell You know, write, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. I said, yeah, yeah, right. You know, leave that to the guys that write books. So it was... I guess it was just an accumulation of things. People kept kind of prompting me to do it. I thought about it. I got into script writing. Um, I started a few years ago where I helped a friend of mine consult on a script. Kind of caught the bug. I love to write. And uh, it kind of took off from there. Yeah? Yeah. When you uh, when you first sat down, uh, you know, switching from a screenplay to a book, uh, when you first sat down to, to write your novel here, um, did you, did, you know, everybody's got their own style, their own right. uh, way of doing things. Did you, did you kind of storyboard it first, or did you just kind of start free flow writing? No, you know, I, I storyboarded that. What, what I did was, the, the, usually what happens is people write the book first, and then they write the script. Well, I wrote the script, then I wrote the book, which is a little, you know, it's a little backwards, but hey, you know what, you know, I've always been... You so are Jack Scribble. I am Jack Scribble, yeah, so they tell me anyway. But, but anyway, so I wrote the script, and then what I did was I kind of used the script as an outline. Yeah. And, you know, you have stories, so what you do is I took the script, I came up with this story, I wrote the script, and then I kind of filled in, and the next thing you know, two and a half months later, I was done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you, you've got a great story there, and, and, and you've done a lot of things uh, you know, throughout your career. There Are any of these stories uh, ring true? They sound like they ring true. Uh, obviously, you, your expertise. You know, there's so many times when we, uh, you watch a TV show or you read a book, and the person who wrote the book or, or who wrote the screenplay... Uh, never worked in the field, but they have technical mm -hmm. advisors. Sure. But still, you find little glitches in in the system there. And in your book, uh, and I read it, and I read it twice. Uh, I, I try to find a flaw. Yeah. <laughs> I try. I try to get a, a, a gotcha there. Thank you. Thank but, you. But procedurally, everything is right there. And uh, oh, thank uh, you. So, what? Uh, what? When you were when you were doing that, you were just kind of reflecting back on what you knew. Huh? You know, exactly. And what I did was when I started, when this story unfolded, once I turned around, I outlined it and I started writing it. I said, you know what? I've read this genre for years. And what happens a lot of times is these guys, you know, there's, there's, you know, it leads up to a big shootout and then there's the investigation. And then the next thing you know, they leave you hanging, right? Well, I said, you know what? That's not really the way things go. Right. So what I decided to do was um, I took... Um, you know, I took an investigation, which basically this is what this was in the book. 
And I took it and I thought it out and I thought, the first thing I thought, I said, okay, hopefully everybody buys it. But what I was doing was I was writing it for the people that I know that would be the biggest critics. And those are the guys that I worked with and got a guy in, could be in, in, in New York or a guy in Florida or, or, or Wisconsin, a, a cop that does, does this for a living. And when he reads it, he's like going, man, this guy's spot on. Yeah. And I and I thought about it, and I've, I obviously I had flashbacks, you know, to, to to many things that you know during the day when I worked uh, at at major narcotics at LAPD, and and you know I just started. I mean, once I it's I thought about it, you know, I mean this just started this it just came, yeah, it just came, and it, and it was. And I sat there. Some days, you know, you write when you write, you write twenty pages. Some days I wrote a hundred pages. And but the 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 fun thing about it was is just how I, I was like oh my gosh this just unfolded <laughs> and it was you know I really and you know and it was kind of neat because I read it and I was like having conversation you know as an author you know as a, as a writer in general you know you, you write and you have these conversations with yourself to try to make sure what you're writing and what you're trying to convey I mean it's a work of fiction but it's so close to factual it's funny it's scary but you know I just wanted to make sure that when people read it you know I wanted to see it through my eyes and I wanted to see, what I wanted to see was that this is exactly what goes on right everything when you uh when you were writing it and and you know you you you've been retired a number of years uh, you're writing it and you're getting you're getting those juices flowing you get you get the urge to get uh, go re, re, re up uh, you know, there's a lot better men than me. <laughs> I think we'll leave it to the guys, you know, those better men, you know what I'm saying? No, you know what's funny? I, I, I think, I, I'll be honest, no, I don't think about re-upping. But what I do is, you know, occasionally I I get together with my friends and, and we start, you know, one hour turns into three to four. And I mean, that's fun. Yeah, that's fun. But to go back to those days when we were doing that, I don't think we can get away <laughs> with doing that. <laughs> your your characters are, are, are so uh, they're, they're they're all identifiable people that you can get behind. You know, a lot of times you have a book of characters, and uh, you know after the first mention of them, you kind of forget about that person. And in the case they may show back up in the book, they may not. Sure. But you gave each one of these very distinct personalities. Uh, this kind of amalgamation of people you knew, or you, you just kind of how'd you come along with developing characters? You know, I major violators. Uh, Los Angeles is about uh, a unit. Um, and it's six detectives and a lieutenant. And so what I did was I kind of took what was relevant today um, with, you know, and I mean, yes, there's people in there that obviously you and I knew. <laughs> and there's, you know, and there's some that we didn't, some that, you know, I, I just kind of took the way the complexion is of the world today and then put them in this type of group. And that was kind of like based on what, I wanted the the unit in the book what they what they did. Yeah, we are talking to Jack Struble here. He's the author of Major Violators, Los Angeles. We're going to take our first uh, break and uh, come back uh, and, and continue on. This is Matt, Michelle Mangione, Queen of Hysteria. You're listening to Swoops Road on the Talk Story Radio Network, sponsored by HealthyNewDay.com. And back after this.
Welcome to Our World Today. What's your question? 
Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to MyPyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. For a little ride. Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. We gotta talk. Let's take a drive. List and promote real-time talk radio topics, or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted, and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Well, that's what I call real drive. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. Talk Story Radio. Hi, this is Kelly Z. We're Casey Reagan. We're from Music You Can See and Ameriblues.com and Kelly's Live. We are swooping it at Swoops World. And welcome back to Swoops World on Talk Story Radio Network. Here with author of Major Violators Los Angeles, Jack Struble. Welcome back to the show, Jack. Thank you. So, Jack, you know, we were talking about all the different characters and whatnot, and your primary character is a guy named Bertram, right? Justin Bertram. Yeah, yes. Bertram. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book without giving anything away. Uh, tell us a little bit about Justin and uh, and kind of the, the basis behind the story. Um, Justin is the he's the senior detective in the major violators section, and um, what we do is you. He's a guy in his early 40s. He's part of this this group of six detectives, one lieutenant. Uh, they're like the best of the best that LAPD has to offer. I mean, they're you know you hear that, but these people have skill sets that people in 12 divisions would probably need to be able to do the job that they do. But you take uh, with Justin, um, what you do is you kind of go back. You take the clock and you wind it back 30 years, and Justin's a young boy of the, about the age of 12. Um, he grew up in Los Angeles in the Valley during the, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, Justin's dad was, at the, at the time, was one of the most highly decorated police sergeants in, in LAPD. Um, Justin's father, uh, one day they come back from a, they come back from a Dodger game, taking a stroll in the neighborhood, and Justin's father's murdered right in front of him. So then we the story we fast forward 30 years Justin's on the department because obviously he's going to follow in his, follow in his father's footsteps and the story's about it's about that you know here's a guy that at the age of 12 years old came the the man of the house yeah mm-hmm. uh, he's got two sisters his mom uh, lives uh, presently you know within 20 minutes from him they're very close and there's always been this Justin's always had this thing in his heart that he thought that he could have stopped his dad's murder. That was something he always felt that he could have done. Right, even though he was twelve. He even though he was twelve, yeah. but you know, his father. I mean, he's this hunk. He's this hulking guy that, at the same time, you know, his dad was twice Medal of Valor winner, and but at the same time, I mean, here's a guy. That takes the day that he's murdered. He takes the day off to take his son to a baseball game. Yeah, and he's he's a loving guy. He's uh, you know he's he's a uh, uh, he's got a faith. He's he's got 
you know, a son that he adores, two loving, you know, two daughters that he's crazy about, uh, his wife who, you know, never remarried. And so we're in modern times and Justin is part of this unit. He's going on with his business, you know, protecting the city of Los Angeles from all the crazy things that go on. And then what he does is at one point he just can't take it anymore and things kind of fall into place for him to where he can kind of move forward to find out what happened to his dad huh. regarding his dad's murder. Now, major violators, what is their primary function? And is this based on, you, know, you, you mentioned major violators when you were, were working the narcotics, but is this based on that type of unit or is this, does this unit really exist? Is this a fictional unit? This is... You know, it's a <laughs> fiction. Sometimes is so close to the truth, it's scary. <laughs> but you know what this? Yeah, it, you know there is with the LAPD there is a major violators uh, um, section. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, major violators unit. Or, well, excuse me, section. I, you can tell how long it's been since I've been retired. <laughs> but what I did was I took the unit. You know, when I worked there. Uh, and, and the LAPD, the major violators section, is actually part of major narcotics. Mm -hmm. And what I did was when I came, when I, I thought, you know what, this is a beautiful thing about writing. You write about something that you can make it really a lot better than what it really is or what it could be. So I said, you know what, when I when I spent almost 17 years in this unit, I thought major violators, we were the best of the best, and we really were. And so I applied that in the book. Right. And there is, you know, there's a major violator section, which is actually part of narcotics. Now it's called Gangs and Narcotics Division. But uh, what I did was, these are, these are the guys that uh, the chief looks to when there's controversy, when there's really complicated uh, cases that need to be solved, when there's something that could affect, you know, one of many things in the city, that's who they turn to, to to solve those problems. So you kind of took basically the, the name, but the, when you put that unit together, it's kind of a, a partials from different yes. units yes, throughout, absolutely. throughout the department. Absolutely. But it's, uh, I like how you made it the best of the best, uh, and then these guys, they, they seem to click. And one of the interesting things about uh, these types of units, uh, when they're at work, these guys gel, 100% gel. 100%. They don't necessarily hang out off-duty together or anything like that, but when they come to work, they come to work. Absolutely. And, and you've given them such uh, diverse personalities where you can tell it, uh, you know, these, a couple of these guys probably won't uh, won't be hanging out after work or, or whatever, but but to get, when they're all together, they, they are finely tuned in. It? It's a brotherhood and a sisterhood. Yeah. It really is. Now you 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 kind of uh, you kind of got uh, multiple multiple uh, races. You have a female detective. Uh, you've given them all uh, specialties, and they're all very very good at what they do. Uh, how did you go about uh, deciding that? You know, a lot of times people hate and say, "Well, things are done on the uh, the basis of political correctness." But you've basically you know we've talked off the air. You kind of based a lot of these people on people you actually kind of knew. Absolutely. So so that's fair to say. Absolutely. That, you know, this is this is a, kind of a, a, a matchup of what you would find on LAPD. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, this is, I can only speak from LAPD, coming from LAPD, have been there almost 25 years. And also, you know, I mean, we, you know, over the years when I was with LAPD, we worked with a lot of great law enforcement agencies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, 
I mean, maybe I'm a little one way when it comes to that. I mean, I think LAPD, I, I, I just, I mean, when you think about it, the blue uniform, the, the shiny badge, it's not a star, uh, which, you know, we love the sheriffs. But uh, and, and you know, and an ex partner of mine is actually a sheriff in LA County. Yeah, yeah, he's a good friend of ours. You know, I mean, I don't hold that against you, Jimmy Mac. But you know, I, what I did was, I you know, these characters are like a little bit of a, a whole lot of people that I know. You know, and then there's a whole, and then some of these characters are typically there's really like. Completely a whole lot of people I know. <laughs> I found it interesting, and one of the things I like when I read a book, um, especially when I read a book um, da, 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 um, in areas that I know. Uh, I think I spoke to you about uh, an author who I've had on the show a couple times, Andrew Peterson. Sure. Uh, a lot of his stuff is based in San Diego. I know San Diego fairly well, so I, it's, it's when I'm reading his book and he starts mentioning places and locales and and things, I kind of go, I know exactly where that is. And I get that a lot in your book. Uh, I, I really like when authors, because I, I read books people write about L.A., and you can tell that they've either never been there or yes. the, the intersections that they tried to put together, those streets run parallel, they don't cross. So I, I really found that you really, obviously you know that area, but it was very, very specific about a lot of things, and I could place myself in those spots. Right. And, you know, I did that because people, you know, it's just like people that watch television and go to the movies. I mean, the audience nowadays, they're, they're unbelievably intelligent. And people that read books, I mean, I, you, do, you have them, Keith, I have friends. I mean, they're avid readers, and they read this genre. And I, I've gotten, you know, it, it makes me feel good. So people, the feedback I'm getting is like, oh, my gosh, you talked about this intersection. You talked about this place. I know where that's at. And, you know, when I, when I go into, you know, I, I want people to understand that when they turn around and they're sitting there at their desk and they're reading Major Violators Los Angeles and I'm talking about such and such, I want them to be able to go on, the, on Google and I want them to turn around and bring it up and I want them to go, oh, my gosh, this, there really is a Carmine's. <laughs> there really is a Carmine's, you know? And I, 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 I didn't beat it to death, but I mean, I've only, we only had a few thousand meals there, right? But, you know, I just wanted, what I wanted to do was I wanted to give it, you know, I wanted to, you know, it's like when you're reading, people talk about in books, sometimes they talk about it, something or they exp explain something and they say that, you know, well, he went to the intersection of so-and-so and he did X, Y, and Z and he surveilled them and then they, bam, they arrest him, put handcuffs on him, it was over with. Right. I wanted to take people through every step of what actually goes on so that when they have a conversation with somebody, they can relate to them and say, no, nah, no, nah, that's not what happens. Yeah. This is what happens. And when, in, when I referred to places in Los Angeles, I wanted people to actually know there really is at that intersection or there is that restaurant. When you, uh, you, you went into a lot of detail uh, with, with court procedure, uh, I know detectives spend a lot of time in court and stuff like that. Was that important to you to get that, get that right? Get that? I, you know, it wasn't. It, sometimes, you know, when I, I, when I wrote about that, I kind of struggled because I thought, well, you know, you can make it really too boring, and people, you could really talk about you could talk about what goes on and just, you know, bore people to death, you know, with maybe five, ten pages. But what I did was I talked about, you know, I talked about a certain hearing. I talked about 
a certain penal code section. I explain things because what I want people to understand, it's not that easy. Yeah. You know, they, it's not, it's just not, uh, they go to court, they convict them, they throw them in the jail and it's over with. I wanted people to understand what went on and, and especially in the court. So they kind of had, so they had a really a good idea what took place. When, uh, you know, you, you talk about, you give a background on, on Bertram and that the, the, the case kind of leads to where he can actually do what he's always wanted to do is try to attempt to solve his dad's, his dad's murder. <clears throat> Excuse me. Was kind of without giving a whole lot away, but how, you know, a lot of times people make those leaps in stories and you're going to go, that doesn't, that unit would have never gotten to that point. And, and you know what I mean? It's, just, it's a big leap. How were you able to weave that in so naturally? I think what, what I did was it all started with a conversation. And it started a conversation with his right hand, Danny Lopez, who's, one of the, who's you know in, in the book. And what happened was there was an event that kind of brought all that out. And what they decided to, you know, they started talking about it and... It was it was just a natural revelation, and then once we got to the point where they you know there was some progress towards that. Without you know you kind of run the it's a it's a fine balance of being too over procedural and and not quite so procedural. You got to kind of find a fine line, mm -hmm. but enough to where when you're talking about it, people understand like oh my. Gosh, this stuff is agonizing. <laughs> this isn't 60 minutes of law, or 42 minutes and 14 seconds of Law and Order SVU, you know? which you know is a great show. But I mean, there's just you know, you you, you it's the good thing about writing a novel is you have enough enough time to tell your story. Right. And what it is is, I think if you make it interesting enough and you explain things to the reader exactly what's going on, what's what you know, 187 of the California Penal Code section is, and you break it down, and there's, you know, you break it down, they're like, well, wow, I didn't really understand that, you know? <laughs> and what it takes to prove that, you know, it. I think what it does, it, and there's little things in the book that you really, you have to read, and it kind of, you know, there's little twi there's a lot of twists and turns, but what it does, at least you can follow it. Right. You know, you could follow it, and it, it, um, I think you walk away with a better view of what real things are, you know, what's what's going what's on. Going on. <laughs> with any creative person, uh, whether you're whether they're a musician or an artist, a writer, uh, you name it, uh, mm. any type of creative person, there's a there's a point in when you're creating where you say I'm done. There's also that point when you kind of go, eh, maybe I want to change that. Maybe yes. I want to do this. Maybe I want to do that." Did you have many of those? And do you look at it now and still say, ah, I should have added this or I should have taken that out? It's a good question. That's tricky. <laughs> Thanks for asking me that question. You know, I really, uh, when I started writing this, I really labored over it. And I knew what I was going to write about. And I knew, okay, there's some things that I, how I could get to that certain point. But what I wanted to do was, I, I kind of went back in the archives and started thinking of things that happened and things that I knew that happened. And I wanted to make it as realistic as possible. And I thought once I found that and I connected with it, 
if you follow what I'm saying, yeah. there was no changing it. Right. And but what happens a lot of times, people write about the genre, they don't really have that experience to go back to, and they or and you know what? If there was something that I was unclear about, I would pick up the phone and call somebody and ask them. You know, and but you know I, I I'm happy with it. I really am. I'm happy with it because I think what it does, it it tells a story. The story's realistic, and. What it also, yeah, it's exciting. It's a little, little, little Hollywood to a certain extent because you know you go to a movie. There's, there's the arc, and then boom, you know, it's the crash, and boom, the next thing you know, the credits are rolling, right? But what I wanted to do is when people started reading my book, I wanted them right from the beginning to go on a ride, yeah. and right when they got all the way to the end, I wanted them to be like, ah, that was great. One of the things I talk to musicians about, and they say, you know, they they write a song. They got it. They got it in their head, and right. they, they sang it, and they they know how they want it to do. And they go in the studio, and then they record it, and then the producer starts making changes. And sometimes they say, that, you know, sometimes they say it's difficult to deal with that because you know where you want to go with it. Sometimes they say, you know what, it actually came out better. Uh, handing over a manuscript to an editor. Oh wow, and they That's get scary. It back. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah, <coughs> you know, my 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 editor, Chris Simon. Is a very talented man. Um, he's uh, he's based on the East Coast, and you know the conversations that we had were you know there's certain things there's dialogue that you probably don't understand, and if you don't understand it, you know ask me. And and, and Chris and I had this whole we we had this relationship to where I'd get an email, you know it'd be uh, ten o'clock. West Coast time, and I know it's one o'clock there, and he's like, he's typing away, and the thing was, the relationship we had, there's this dialogue going back and forth, and I would explain it to him, you know, and then there was, you know, there's formatting things that they do, right. and, but you know, I, I think what it is, is I, I knew when I could, when I cl connected with Chris, I knew that I could trust him, yeah. and I said, listen, I don't want you to change my story. Um, if there's some things that you think I could add that would flush it out a little more, or if I'm going to over the top here on something, you know, I'm, I'm a big boy, you can tell me. And, you know, he did, you know, and uh, I wasn't upset about it. And, and I looked at it and I said, yeah, you're right, Chris, you're right. And, uh, but yeah, it's scary because, you know, when you start writing, as you know, Keith, as a writer, when you start writing and you hand that over to somebody, the nerves are, you know, it's just like you're, 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 you're going, I'm, I'm taking my baby and I'm giving this give to somebody, away, give exactly. it away. Can I trust them to not drop them? Absolutely. You're listening to the Swoops Road on the Talk Story Radio Network. We're here with Jack Scruble, author of Major Violators Los Angeles. We're going to take a quick break and come back and uh, continue to talk with Jack. I'm in the car next to you on the highway. I sit in front of you on the bus. I'm one out of every six Americans, and I'm struggling with hunger. This isn't an uncontrollable epidemic. There's enough food in this country to feed every hungry person. Please, visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for those around you, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. 
My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio. Hi, Hi, we're the the Enablers, enablers, and and you're you're listening listening to Swoop Swirl. Welcome back to Swoop's Road on the Talk Story Radio Network, and uh, we're here with Jack Struble, and we're talking about his new book, Major Violators, Los Angeles. You know, um, the book is uh, available. It's it's available now. It's out this week. It's on BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, or you can go to my website, uh, www.MajorViolators.com, and you can order it on there. Cool. Now you've had uh, you've had a lot of people uh, had a chance to take a look at it and read it. How, how's your feedback been? You know, I've been I've been happy. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend of mine who um, he's very, he's a very smart guy, and what I do is you know a lot of art authors will you know they'll 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 say well the NYPD well everybody knows it's the New York Police Department but for a lot of people that picked up a book. They may not even know what the NYPD is. And so what I do is I I explain what the abbreviations are, and I'm, pr- I'm pretty good at that. And there was like, he goes, well, I found a, I found a mistake. <laughs> and uh, I said, what was it? And he goes, well, it was about page 40. He said, you kept saying RHD, and then about page 43, you explained it was robbery homicide division. <laughs> I said, sorry, man. I said, Patrick, I'll never do that again. And so he was like, I said, you're going to give me a complex here. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it, it's... So, some of my friends, I've sent I've sent it to people in New York. I've sent it to to people in Nashville, and and the funny thing is, people didn't know I, that I wrote, and it's just something I'm very passionate about. But I mean, the review, it's I've really gotten back some great comments. Really have. I know you know notice some of the dialogue there, you know, um, some of it rang familiar. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> I should have got a waiver, right? <laughs> but I never mentioned the real names in there, so I don't have to. For my lawyer. <laughs> no, it's it, it, you. you uh, I know for a fact that uh, you know certain, not necessarily the crime, not the, the crux of the book. But certain little little tidbits in there you, you took from real life situations. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's... absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I, I I'm guilty as charged. <laughs> I'm guilty as charged because you know what? Those are the things that stick in your mind. And when we and when old friends get together over a glass of cab, those are the first things that come up. <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, it, it, I, I have to imagine that it it took. Um, more work than people would think. And the reason, I, the reason I say that is there's so many times things happen in the real, in the real world. Right. And 
when you would tell people those stories, they just wouldn't believe it. They just they just would not believe that that really truly happened. Exactly. So to write a novel, you have to maintain people's attention. You you don't want them to take that that leap into they not believing, even though it's true. Right. Uh, how do you how do you gauge that? How do you gauge that with, with your story? You know what I th I think that's a, it's it's that's a, a great question because I think. Uh, Without giving away too much, there's one one part in the book where they are doing the they're part of this investigation and they um, do a there's a seizure involved. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, you know I didn't exactly put the the exact amounts in, but you know I was around that kind of stuff around where there was large seizures of drugs of cocaine. I mean, thousands of kilos. And what it is, is without revealing too much, because you don't want to, um, you know, you just don't want to reveal those things. Yeah. Uh, you take a situation, you, 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 you conduct the investigation, because basically what you're doing, you're conducting the investigation right there on paper, and you're talking about it. And, and what you do is you have to change some things so that you don't hurt anybody because of maybe of what they do for a living still right. or, or a, you know, an investigation that could be, you know, most of ours are probably all done or over with, but, uh, you know, you, you, you change, you, you kind of tweak some facts here and there, tweaks, tweak some things. And what it is, is up to that point, you, you make it as realistic as possible with the dialogue, the procedural aspect of it, the investigative aspect of it. And, you know, and one of the things I did in there was people don't understand that. They think that when detectives are solving a case, it's like on, um, I don't know, it, you know, on NCIS or on Law & Order SVU. They get together, the, the phone rings, they go out, <laughs> clues are laying on the sidewalk, bada bing, bada boom, 42 minutes and 14 seconds later, it's solved, right? No, it doesn't work that way, because what happens is, what I do, you know, they're sitting there in the squad bay, and they're spitballing about stuff. You're trying to solve, you know, you're in a, you're in a, a, a unit environment, and, you know, in a unit environment, I mean, there's always a case agent, which is what I explain in the book, but, you know, when you're with seven or ten type A's baby it doesn't you, you don't have any you don't get you don't have don't have the uh, luxury of not listening to their opinion well that's true you know and so what you do is you just you know just like in the book you know you just uh, it's it's I think what it is it's the way you, you conduct the investigation way way I laid it out so that people can kind of live it and understand that's what goes on yeah. of course I mean we're going to come up with a happy ending that's what the whole idea is but also in the book, yeah, too. you you got you got you got to have a happy ending so you can have more books. Exactly, <laughs> that's the whole idea. That's that's for the next one that's coming out next year. But you know, it, it, but I think what it is is you, you have to make the investigation as realistic as possible. Absolutely, because like I said earlier, you know, the readers and people that watch television and movies, they're smart. Well, I think, and and you you run the risk uh, another way because because you are a former detective. Uh, I know your colleagues expect uh, a certain amount out of you. Oh, absolutely. You know, and uh, like you absolutely. said, a bunch of type A's aren't hesitant to let you know. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, as soon as they read it, you know, as soon as they get through the first hundred pages, because that's where their attention span is at this point, right? Sometimes, some of them, I'm just saying. No, I'm just, I'm just being facetious. But, but, you know, 
if you're if you're if you're um, describing a surveillance of some major of some major violators that you know, and you're you're following them for for a hundred miles, you better be realistic yeah. because if not, I know what's going to happen. They're going to email you, they're going to call you, and they're going to say things that would you know, if your mother said it to you, make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always had that in the back of my mind, you know. And, and plus, what I didn't want to do is. You know, yeah, I wanted it to be entertaining, but at the same time, I wanted those people that I worked with and other law enforcement people that that buy the book. I wanted them to at least say, "Hey, you know, this is realistic." Yeah, is uh, is Bertram going to bump uh, Harry Bosch off the off the charts? And uh, well, should Michael Connolly start looking over his shoulder? You know, I love Michael Connolly. <laughs> I really do. The guy's a great writer, but you know what? If he could just move to the right just a little bit and let me eke in a little bit, I'd be fine. You know, we're we're. uh, um, LA's a big city. Have room for it's a big city, man. You know what? It's a big city. No, we're we're shopping it around. We've we've uh, taken we've taken it to a couple places. But you know, what you learn about Hollywood is everything is timing. Yeah, it's all timing. I mean, people like could love your your idea. But then they're going to take it to uh, an NBC or an ABC, and they have something similar that's already in front of the committee. And, you know, you have to, it's just, you know, you wait your turn. You wait your turn. Jack, we tried to cover a lot tonight. Uh, uh, you know, is there anything that you wanted to talk about or uh, mention that we haven't, uh, haven't hit on yet? You know, I, of course, I want everybody to buy the book. And like I said, you can buy it at Barnes & Noble. You can go to Amazon.com or you can go to our website. But what I want you to, you know, what I hope you get, and, you know, the, you can go to the website, and we're, we're going to be on Facebook here in a couple days. Um, I just want you to walk away with, with an understanding of what it really is like out there. And I'm not standing, you know, I'm not waving the flag or the banner, but I just felt that when I wrote it, wrote the book, I just had to be true to what, you know, what it was all about was the LAPD and, and the investigation and the detectives. And I, I think you, I think you hit that right nail on the head. And it, it's a, it's a great book. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and and I'm a I'm a fan of the genre. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I read the, all the Nathan McBride stuff, the Michael Connelly, uh, mm-hmm. the Harry Bosch stuff, the Jack Reacher stuff. And you know it, it fits right in. And, well, thank you. It's, it's 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 it fits right in. It holds its own. And uh, I wish you all the best with that, man. Thank you. We are uh, happy to have J- uh, Jack with us tonight. He's going to stay on uh, through the next segment. We're going to take a quick break. And about uh, five or six minutes from now, we're going to have Anthony Davis, uh, the former USC great, the Notre Dame killer. He'll be calling in. So let's take a quick break and uh, let's see who do we want to listen to. Uh, how about? Oh, let's see. We've had so many people on the show. J. Ross Pirelli, and this is Like Water. Back after this. <laughs> We're perfect, man. You can't be bad like water. You only need to win a one I try to hold you, but I got you. My brain. You can't be bad like water. You only need to win a one I try to hold you, but I got you, my baby. Like fresh air, I can't breathe unless you're near. I be a shadow when I'm not there. I lose my cool when you walk in a 
rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Let TalkStream Live transform the way you listen to radio. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. My name is Joe Thompson. I'm 29. And thanks to my college degree, I'm a systems analyst. And the college me would tell you. I wouldn't be here without big brothers, big sisters. My big brother believed in me. And to a seven-year-old... That means a lot. My big brother's name is Phil. And Phil is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a systems analyst. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. 
Psst. Hey, over here, behind the fence. Huh? You? The bike? Yeah, the bike. Here in the grass where the kids left me a while ago. Could you get the dust off my seat and remind the kids how fun I still am? Okay. Oh, you are dusty. I may need my spokes tightened, too. Let's go. As Native American parents and caregivers, our encouragement to healthy lifestyles for our kids is helping them get outside and play. Get ideas. Get involved. Get going at letsmove.gov slash Indian Country. Brought to you by USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. Talk Story Radio. Hello, this is Steve Delamater, and hello to all you out there on the interwebs. Keep it right here on Swoop's World. What's shaking, baby? Wanna go for a spin? I got the top down, looking round at places I've been. There's a diner on the corner. Let's go there. And welcome back to Swoops Road on the Talk Story Radio Network. And uh, we're going to give AD a call real quick here. Good friend and colleague, five-time national champion, two-time All-American, the one, the only Notre Dame killer out of USC, Anthony Davis. How you doing, AD? Doing okay. You're here with me and my my, my earlier guest, Jack, uh, Jack Struble. He's uh, wrote a book uh, recently uh, called Major Violators Los Angeles, and uh, we talked about that the first hour. Now we got the wonderful AD on. Well, well, I'm glad to be in your company, sir. <laughs> hey, brother, it's been a, it's been a few weeks, and we're gonna just jump right into all kinds of things that we, we needed to talk about. But the the, the news that made the, the, the made the news last night, uh, and I know you're a huge baseball fan. You you, you know you were all American in baseball. You got drafted out of high school, but uh, Puig Puig got sent down to Triple uh, A ball in Oklahoma, and they said uh, the Dodgers may be done with him. Well, here's well, here's the issue with me when it comes to Quig and stuff. And I and I've said that I think the fact that he came out of suppressed and that environment in Cuba, he got to the United States was like a kid in the candy store and went nuts. And I believe that he has off the field issues. And he's not disciplined in being dedicated to, to to the game. I think that's one of the things that the rumors that I've heard on the street is the fact that he's not disciplined enough and not uh, do what he needs to do to be a major league ball player. He has all the talent in the world, but it's applying himself to do the work, has the work ethic. And I think that's half the problem. I think that he has some some some, uh, some issues with management. When they, when they asked him not to do certain things, you know, he sort of little, he, he might be a little defiant. Uh, and that's what I think, that's one of the issues that's going on. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 they're will, and they're willing to cut the loss because, like I said, when Henry Maris and, uh, and Uribe left the team, I believe that was his support group, and that's what, what, what threw him off. I believe that. I believe if those two were still with the organization, he would, he would, he would be more disciplined, and they would keep him in line. You know, in but like Vince, go ahead. 
like like Vin Scully would say, you know, the wild horse. Well, I think he's a wild horse off the field. And the wild horse off the field can hurt your professionalism. And that's the thing. Uh, you know, the Dodgers of old, uh, no matter what they had uh, in the, going on in the clubhouse and uh, some of the guys with uh, you know, certain issues, the, the Dodgers of old didn't put up with a lot. Uh, they gave guys just a love for rope to hang themselves, and then they move on. And uh, regardless of how talented they were, and uh, I, it sounds like the last uh, or, or the, the new current regime is trying to get back to some of that, some of that uh, kind of discipline that the Dodgers had back in the day. Well, it seems that way, you know. And in the, you know, the team in the West, the NL West, the team that beat is the San Francisco Giants, and for sure they've been the reigning champions and. They've won like three, what, World Series in the last five years? I mean, come on. That is a team to win. And, and, and for some reason, you know, some of the ballplayers have been there and has not taken that seriously. And you got to remember also, too, when you're paying these guys this kind of money and the long schedules, a lot of these guys, it, it, it takes a lot to be focused. And, and, and that's where the true professionals come out. And I just don't think, you know, I just think that uh, uh, in Quig's situation is not, was not disciplined enough for that, but yeah. he'll find out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, he'll find out. I mean, that's a wake-up call for him. If he doesn't take that serious, uh, he never will. Yeah, and you know, there's, 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 there's they got some injuries. You know, they have. Uh, I think Kershaw's still out. Uh, a couple other guys are, are are hurt. So, you know, they're going through. Uh, they're going through some times here where they're they're trying to not lose ground and uh, and, and and kind of finish strong. But I think that was a big surprise for a lot of people, uh, the Puig situation. Um, jumping over to another thing that happened the last couple of weeks since we've been gone, Dennis Green passed away. Uh, did you know Dennis? Um, no, I didn't know Dennis personally. We knew of each other, of course, of our football thing. But, you know, I, mean, I always admired him from afar. Thought he was a great coach, great disciplinarian. A lot of the ballplayers that I've known have talked to him have played under him had a lot of respect for him and uh and you know he was doing around the time when i was playing in college and pro football so no that's a great loss he was a great individual he had he had a couple of the greatest uh greatest uh post-game uh interviews ever uh, when, he, when he said you know you guys want you guys are going ahead and crown these guys already go ahead and crown them and they were who we thought they were and uh, i mean they there's some great uh some great uh, press conferences he had, and uh, he, like he said, he was a great. He was a very good coach, and and I, I haven't heard anybody, uh, even before he passed uh, or since he's passed, say that they uh, had anything negative to say about playing for him. No, totally respectful person, on and off the field, and uh, all through the days when he was at Stanford and everything else, and he he was he was he was a great ambassador for the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always had a lot of respect for him. Great teacher of the game. You know, you've spoken about that uh, many a times about the fact that uh, you know coaches, as far as is teaching teaching players how to play the game, as well as how to be good citizens, how to be uh, you know, how to better themselves uh, within society. Uh, how important is that? And you you played for a lot of coaches, and I know you have a lot of respect for or some of the coaches you played for. But how important is that uh, as a coach to really? to really teach people the game, even at the professional level? Well, first of all, you know, in a lot of instances, uh, ball players are extension of the coaches. Some take it farther off the field, some just on the field, but 
when you have a coach that influences a, a young man both on the field and off the field from his teaching, that is that is a monumental person in my in my view. Now, you know, the the guy who uh who who I had all the respect for was a the late Tom Fears, Hall of Famer, who influenced me not only on the field but off the field. You know, uh, uh, John McKay uh, showed strong discipline in terms of his system. That's the reason why I always talk about what the, what USC was of the 70s, which is the greatest time in the school's history and had the greatest team of all time in college football history. So uh, his discipline started off for me. And then Tom Fears finished it for me. So I was very fortunate to have guys like that, but – but if I'd had time fears all through my whole pro career, there's no telling where I'd have, what elevation I'd have went as a professional. So, but but a lot of a lot of guys get that. Some don't. They find it in other areas. But when you find a coach like that, you're very fortunate. You heard uh, you heard similar things said about Tom Coughlin, uh, you know, when he retired. Uh, and I think uh, I think those things that. Uh, Last, you know, long after your playing career, like you still talk about uh, McKay and Fears, it, it it goes, it carries with you throughout the rest of your life, doesn't it? Well, you know, of course. I mean, you find yourself in situations. As, wow, what will coach think about that? What will coach do in this situation? I know a lot of guys who think like that, and then you know, you do stuff unconsciously, and uh, that, that 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 you were taught, and you say, "Wow, coach, coach would do it just like that." And you and you take you take to what you did off the, on the football field or the practice field, and you put in, in purpose in your real life. And I do that in business. Like I'm in, you know, like when I'm in with my partnership at Greenlaw Partners with uh, the guy I really work close with is Rob Mitchell. Uh, uh, you know, I, we I, when I when I see him, he reminds me when I'm on the football field playing against UCLA Notre Dame. I mean, we are two head hunters. We go and we go, we work. We work. We're very disciplined, and, and we're on the same page. I don't make a move without him, and uh, I've taken a lot of that off the field and brought it into how we work. Yeah, we we are getting moving into the uh, the new NFL season. Uh, the Rams have returned to Los Angeles. There's a lot of buzz about that. The first preseason games next week. Um, your thoughts? I mean, you you know, you finished your career with the Rams. Uh, your thoughts about them being back in L.A.? Well, you know, I mean, from a marketing standpoint, it's sky the limits here for the Rams, you know, on, off the field and off the field. I think, I think you know, just in, in forecast of the Rams, I think it's good for the public to have them back here about time. But the situation with the Rams has is, you know, it's major adjustments for the ball players. I think they're convoluted with a lot of stuff. Okay, where are my kids going to school? Where am I going to buy a house? Uh, am I getting to see? They got to get situated still, you know. You know. So I'm just saying, I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of a player, and I know they're happy to be here. It's a whole other opportunity, but still, they got to get settled and stuff. They're not in their new home yet. It's not built. They got to play in the Coliseum. So there's a lot of just they're doing for the Rams, and and of course they're in that they're in that NFC West. With San Francisco, you know, Arizona, and, and of course the, the the champs, you know, Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the thing is, the Seahawks are the team to beat 
and that's what they and they got their hands full. But they got a they have a they, they have a talented group, and they got a good talent in quarterback, the number one pick overall. But it's gonna be a lot of adjustments. But I think they have a bright future down the road. So L.A. Ram fans, I mean, if they stumble a little bit, you got to be patient with them because it's gonna be a while, in my opinion. Then they can surprise everybody and just blow everybody out. Anything can happen. But based on what's going on, uh, you got to be patient. Give them some time. You talk about uh, the, the the kid, the, the the new quarterback. Um, it looks like he's going to start. He's the he's the, he's the franchise. Uh, you know, a starting quarterback coming out of college. Uh, that first year is usually a struggle. Um, what do you What do you think? I mean, uh, you, you you think you see you see him coming out of the gate. Ready, to, ready to play the in this at this level, or is there going to be a well, long term adjustment? Well, it's going to take him a while. I mean, you know, he's got to learn the game, I and mean, he's still learning the game, the speed of the game. Academically, he's still learning with the Rams. You know, he's got to get in sync with all his players, all the little nuances, all the little things he has to adapt to, all the little tricks of the game on the pro level. So it's going to be a lot of adjustments. He's going to start his first preseason game. So. Uh, you got to remember, he's going up against the, the strong Seahawks, the Cardinals. I mean, uh, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge for him. Yeah. But based on based on what, what what has been said, he's got a bright future. And depending on who his offensive coordinator is, and of course Fisher working with him, that's going to be the key. The head coach relation with that quarterback. Well, you just said about Fisher because he's an SC guy. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, the bottom line is the bottom line is you know the model you know the model uh, of course coach player situation is Brady and Belichick. So you know those guys have, you've seen the the championships they've won and how they work in sync. So I mean you can say whatever you want about Belichick and Brady about any of all the controversy. The bottom line is those two have been a one of the I guess the best one-two punch in the in the league's history. So they've set the standard, and that's what all coaches, and uh, especially the coach to quarterback relationship, has to go. Absolutely. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming off, uh, speaking of young quarterbacks, uh, coming off a, a, a you know not, not not a bad first season. What, what are you looking at on uh, Jameis Winston uh, this season? Hey, um, down there in Tampa. He's got an opportunity to, to scout a limit with him. It's just it's the pieces they have to put around him. You know, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, you just don't win in the National Football League with just one player. You need you need pieces. I mean, it's like when I played. I mean, I had all the credentials in the world, but if I don't have the pieces around me, I'm not doing anything. I mean, you can, you can escalate faster with a quarterback if you build around the quarterback, but you got to have a full team, starting with that coordinator, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and the players – to put in that system to, imp- to implement the stuff you want to do for the whole season. Because uh, on any given weekend, on any given Sunday, somebody can beat you. Right. And so you got to develop consistency within your organization, and, that, and that's what it is. That separates uh, the, the championship and the losers because they're all big and fast, they're all big and strong, they're all talented, but it's, 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 it's what team and organization is in sync and with the consistency on those bases that makes the championship team. One of the and, guys, Winston, and, and Winston has all that within himself. He's proven that, but they wouldn't have drafted him the way they did. But he's still, still got to build his pieces 
and the organization has to be consistent with him. Yeah. <coughs> One of the guys who gets a lot of, a lot of talk, deservedly so, and, and uh, there are very high expectations for, and uh, he, he comes to play every week, uh, Andrew Luck. What do, what do you think his season is going to look like this year? Well, the same thing with him. I mean, he's a, he, I mean, he's a beast. I mean, he's, as far as I'm concerned, he's like a linebacker playing the position. I mean, he, he. I mean, I don't know how long you can keep doing that, but I mean, he's like a linebacker playing that position. I mean, he reminds me of of Jim of Jim Kelly, the Buffalo, uh, Jim McMahon, but but he's even stronger and bigger than both of those guys, and he plays the game like he's playing linebacker. He's a heady guy. Everybody has a lot. Of, everybody in the league has respect for him, and, and look out for him too, because. If whenever they assemble everything around him, they're going to be a force to reckon within the league. When, when you bring these uh, these quarterbacks, and and, and and like you just mentioned, uh, the, the, the size he has and the way he plays, um, there's real there's no prototype anymore, right? I mean, we have you got you have your Russell Wilsons, you have uh, the Andrew Luck types, but then you have the Bradys, and, and, and you know we saw the Mannings, and there's really no. Uh, consistent prototype anymore. You just never know what you're going to get. And, and, and you've mentioned so many times, it's about the system, isn't it? Well, it's about the system also, but I'm going to say this, and some people might agree with me and disagree with me. Based on the statue of Cam Newton, he is the new breed quarterback. Big, strong, fast, can run, and uh, he's, he, he is the model. I mean, he broke the mold. Whether or not he performs up to the Brady's in terms of the Super Bowls and getting back, we have to wait and see. But he's proved that with the right play calling and system around him, he's he's a beast as well, and and he's a guy to be reckoned with. But I think he is the prototype quarterback these days because he can do it all. He's not limited. He can play. He can beat you in the pocket. He can beat you with your legs. I mean, you know. He's a court. He could be a running back. He could be a quarterback. I mean, and he's 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 a monster. I mean, the guy is six foot six, two hundred fifty some pounds. One of the I things mean, I <laughs> notice about Cam, uh, when you have guys that uh, in, uh, that can run, uh, a lot of those guys uh, they they take off too early. Uh, even though even though lots of times it's very successful, I see that Cam doesn't. Uh, he uses his legs when he needs to. But uh, he looks well, like he, it, when he, he checks when he, down. Well, when he first came to the league, he, he was this what you said. He took off, but not now. He reads the people. Look, when he comes out, does his pre-reads, he reads that defense. When he sets back, uh, he he's a he's a mature quarterback now. He's got it all. He's he, he's he's you know he's missed a major, He's never had any major injuries. He's got his legs. He's got his arm. And he's a savvy guy now. So, so from the from the physical to the academic part of the game with him, he is the, he he is the standard now. He is, and uh, and the same thing. Him and him and Kaepernick are in that same category. Good so, mention. Good mention. What happens with Kaepernick this year? Well, look, look. It's all look. It's all the organization. Look, look. You win Super Bowls in the front office, not on the field. You got to start that front office. Once that front office get their acts together, and they, and they do the same with Kaepernick, because you saw what Jim Harburg had did with him. So you can't deny that when Harburg was there, there was one play away from winning the Super Bowl. Wait a minute, that's the same guy. So you guys have to realize that you 
is responsible for you, the organization. He's already proved what he can do with the right situation around him. So they got to get it back to that. And if not, it's on the 49ers, not Kaepernick. Yeah. Kaepernick would be fine if they, if they implement everything and put everything in place for him to perform. He's already proven it. So yeah, there you go. he's saying, he, 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 I look at him just like I look at Cam Newton. Yeah. He, he, you know, I think I think uh, the, th- the thing about Kaepernick is uh, he I think he gets a bad rap a lot of times. Uh, the, you know, the, the team was falling falling apart around him last 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 season, and uh, you know the people were people were applauding the fact that he got benched. I don't think it was his fault. No, look, look, I blame that on the whole organization. When when Jim Harburg left, when he left. That was the demise of Kaepernick. That's that's what I that's what I've always said to you, Keith, in all our in all our interviews and our talks and stuff like that. It's based on your system, your coach, and who's running the show. And you saw it happen with Jim left the organization. That 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 that's that that proves my point. When Jim Harbour was there, when he was running that organization as a coach, he excelled. He excelled. Yeah. Got to remember, this guy was in the Super Bowl. He was a player, so from winning the Super Bowl. That guy has not changed. <laughs> I mean, he's not changed. He's the same guy. So you got to realize, I'm not, and I'm going to tell anybody listening to my voice, you know, get a grip. This this is a great athlete. <laughs> he can play. And, and it's on the 49ers to get their act together. Not him. Agreed. Not him at all. I mean, if you had Peyton Manning in that system, he wouldn't do well. Agreed. You put any quarterback in that situation – and what and how it's falling off off the table, they do not perform. And I and I and I'll go put my football abilities and career on the fact to say that no one turns that thing around in San Francisco. No one, not the great Brady, not the great Manning. No one. That's how that's how dysfunctional the, the organization was. Now let me ask you this: They bring in Chip Kelly. Now, you and I have talked about uh, you know the type of uh, you know. Trickery and and and, and, this, and, and this. he plays like a you know kind of a, what he did worked in Oregon. It worked. It worked at the university level. It didn't really. I mean, he had some success, some success with Philadelphia, but it didn't really work there. Do you think it's going to work in in the Forty ers or is he going to have to start to become a more traditional coach? Well, well, he's got you know he's got it you know I mean, he, 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 he you can do all that trickery stuff. You can spread people out. You know you can be all the finesse, but you got to play power football. You got to play power football. I mean, that's what you got to do. Always come back to power. Look, I always believe. Look, football today is the same as it was back then. You got to implement new things with the. You got to implement the new stuff with the old stuff. If you don't do that, I'm, I'm a big believer that football is still blocking and running into the debt. If 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 Chip Kelly can do that, implement that in in, in his program, and see what he has around him. I think it'd be successful. If not, I'll see another Philadelphia. But this is not Oregon. <laughs> hey, and, 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 and. Hey, AD, I think Jack's got a question for you. Hey, AD. Yeah, yes. You, you yes, know, sir. I've been listening to you, and I, you know, I've been a fan for as long as I can remember. And I thank you for all the great things you did for SC. But you know what you're saying makes absolute sense, and this is something that when I sit down and I watch the pros play. You know, they, they get the contract for 45 or $55 million. And the one thing they forget to do, and the one thing that it always comes back to, 
is the basics. Blocking, tackling, uh, you know, the fundamentals. And I think last season I've seen that time and time again with, I mean, even with people like Seattle, you know, some of the things that they did where they're they're, they're running some of the risks that they ran. But I, I, I agree with you. I think what it is, it's, it, it starts, you know, with the players, it's the fundamentals. And, and then, like you said, it's all the trickery and all the cool plays and all the talent that they have. But, uh, I, I, you know, football at all levels, you know, to me just seems like it, once you have those fundamentals down, then all those, you know, the, this, all the cream kind of rises to the, to the top. Well, you know, you know, you know, absolutely. You know, uh, look, I'm a power football guy. You, you build your foundation around that. Mm-hmm. Okay, at the end of the day, you may have to come back to that. In the third and fourth quarter, that's what you do. You know, we we believe in beating you up. And, and, and look, first of all, look, there's no trick. We're coming at you. The thing about humiliating a defense, and from my standpoint, is you can beat them, and they know they're coming. They know that you're coming, and you still humiliate them. And, and, and that's just true football. I mean, yeah, you got all these little, little things you can put in and incorporate, but the bottom line, end of the day, you got to beat a team, you got to train and perform to win in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter is a win and win win games for you. Period. Exactly. And I totally agree with you. We're winning. We're we're, we're 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 totally on the same page when it comes to that. So I believe that I'm gonna take it to my grave. People can disagree or whatever. No, I don't need the football's football still. It doesn't matter. You know, None of this pantsy stuff like they do today. <laughs> One of the things that uh, we, we, I say frequently and uh, we've said uh, collectively is, you know, I, I get tired of hearing guys saying, uh, you know, had the ref not made that call. Looks and if you if your win or loss comes down to one call by the ref, in my opinion, you didn't do your job the other 58 minutes of the game. So I I think uh, when you start talking about the fundamentals, uh, blocking, tackling, uh, Mm -hmm. and running your routes right and and, and hitting your holes correctly, you eliminate a lot of the times or you eliminate the need to uh, complain about one specific call. Uh, I understand the game's tied and, you know, you think you had a pass interference and stuff like that. But still, if you you had done all the things you were supposed to do right throughout the game, it it really doesn't really break down to that that last call. No, 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 absolutely. No, no, you, should, you know, you should, you should have thought about what you're doing the first, second, third quarter and stuff. You know, if you if you, you thought they should have blew them off the field when you had them in the first, the first or second, third quarter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it. And then sometimes if the game is close in the fourth quarter, anything can happen. You know, anything can happen. So, I mean, you, you got to, you got to, your, your, your whole attitude and plenty is to dominate that other team. That's the whole key. It's like anything. You got to dominate both defensively and offense. And that's the objective of any coach. Any coach will tell you that. You know, you don't come down to one play. I mean, you know, that happens every once in a while. But but in the fourth quarter, if you're close, it's anybody's game. So so I I totally agree with you. Stop complaining. (laughs) Kick the first three quarters. Hey, you know, no disrespect, but if you're a whiner, go to UCLA. (laughs) (laughs) Eddie, yeah, well, a, Eddie, 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 Eddie plays it right down the middle, man. He, 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 he's got friends from UCLA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, well, I, I have a doctor from UCLA, and I have a, had an attorney from UCLA. God bless the doctor and the attorney. I, I, 
our in our in our, our in house attorney at, 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 at my firm and stuff is uh is U, UCLA, you know. So you I gotta try to give her. Blues. I try to. I gotta try to get her give her a blood transfusion to you know, get her her brain straight every once in a while. But I, I haven't had any luck in that area. <laughs> Ad, uh, real quick, we're gonna cover a couple couple other topics real quick before before we have to let you go. Um, the the Pac-12. We we I know we touch on it a lot. Uh, season's getting closer to starting. Uh, I know you know people uh, that that get to go watch uh, some of these pre pre time uh, you know pre workouts and things like that. Uh, what are what are you seeing uh, in the play? What are you hearing about the Pac-12 this year? This year. Well, first of all, let me say about my own my own my own school USC. USC pound for pound can match anybody in the country as far as talent. But I believe SC's thing is a learning curve and an academic thing in terms of the system. I think, you know, I'm not criticizing Coach Hilton because I think he's doing a good job based on what's happened in the past. He has to simplify his offense and defense so the coaches and players could be on the same page. You can't get fancy. You can't get you can't get load them up with academic stuff in the playbook and everything else because. It's been ups and downs the last five years. I mean, it's been three coaches in there in the last five years, and in offensive coordinators, different thoughts, different philosophies. So they got to get all that on page. Because I mean, pound for pound, they got the best talent in the conference, and and they're still in the top five in the country in terms of talent. But the thing, the difference between separates him from Ohio State and the Alabama is that they have their system in place, and all they're doing is plugging people in. Now in the Pac-12, the team is still to beat is Stanford. That's the reigning champion. They have to beat Stanford. And the two teams overall in the Pac-12 is going to be the toughest. Is going to be Oregon and Stanford because they've been consistent over the last five, six, seven years. SC's got to get on that page and just. And don't get me wrong, they can beat anybody in the conference, but based on from from systems variations of different systems. The team to beat is Stanford in the Pac-12. That's all you hear. You got to beat Stanford. Now all these other teams like Arizona State, you know Arizona, Utah, Utah, all these, oh, Colorado, what, whatever you want to say about them. Now you never know who's going to win on any given Saturday. Now I'm still going to say that for this year. But the two, the the, the the three powerhouses in my opinion in the conference: SC, Stanford. Oregon and and Stanford has, is a team to, to to win. You have to beat Stanford. Stanford's a team team to knock off. And they, you know I think they played at the fourth game of the season this year. Third game, I'm not sure. But if you go on, if you going up and they they're playing in Stanford, they're going they're going to the farm up there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, and they, and they got that kid McCaffrey there. He's a monster. And he can play all-purpose guy. I mean, he he can he 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 can hurt you in many ways. So, uh, and and Shaw's done a great job at Stanford. So that is the team to beat in the conference. That's what I'm hearing everywhere. I was I was reading a poll uh, just the other day, and it said the a- AP put out its uh, greatest collegiate football programs of all time, and USC finished fifth. Um, well, somebody smoking some, but, but you know. <laughs> yeah, they had, I think they had Ohio State, State the Sooners, Oklahoma Sooners are number two. Uh, I forgot who three and four was. I have to look it up. And then uh, SC was five. UCLA, I believe, was seventeen, and I think Notre Dame was twelve. 
Well, first of all, they tend to forget that the 72 team was the greatest team of all, in my opinion, a lot of people, the greatest one-two teams in, of all time, okay? So, I mean, you know, what that 72 team was about set the presence of what college, in my opinion, because we had nine Super Bowl guys off that team. We never trailed in the fourth quarter. We beat everyone. And I was a third-string tailback that came in and rushed, ended up rushing for 11 or 90 yard, 91 yards and 18 touchdowns. If I'm the star of that team, I might have 30 touchdowns and, two, and, and probably been the first 2,000-yard rusher on that team. So, I mean, I don't know who's voting. <laughs> People that I mean, don't top five. Top five is good. But, but you know, I'm, you know, but, you know, they got to be the one, two. They got it wrong. They got it wrong. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know if they go on by. Top three is good, but the other two are wrong. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if they're going by the quality of the program or all the wins. I don't know how their criteria was in voting that way. I mean, I mean, come on now. I think they tallied up. Percentage. Uh, uh, percentages of votes over uh, uh, since 19, I forgot what, what year they said they first started the AP poll, 30-something or 40-something. So, uh, yeah, I think they just, it's just, uh, uh, just based on uh, votes that came in each year or something like that. Well, top five is nice, but it should be top one, two, or three. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, who's, who's number one? Uh, Ohio State. First of all, how many national champs did Ohio State won? <laughs> hey man, I, I didn't do the research. I, I just, I'm just reporting. I'm just the best. Don't kill the messenger. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean how, I, how many, how many report? I mean, they never won nothing. One in the '70s, as far as I'm concerned, we we, we beat them. Through, we played them three years in a row. They won once, and we won two national titles in the '70s. No, we won three. So where where where, where are they? Okay, I understand Woody Hayes. In his regime, but after that, and then there's Urban Meyer. I mean, wait a minute. I mean, am I missing something here? <laughs> let's uh, let's go out on two 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 or two last things. Then we'll call it a night, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about some crazy. You and I, we, we we every once in a while, we we touch on uh, subjects other than sports, and uh, we we've, we've hit on this before. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy political season. Holy mackerel! Uh, and and uh, as far as I'm concerned, I can't believe out of 380 million people, these are two the top two presidential contenders. But uh, every day, man, every day I, I hear you hear things that have absolutely nothing to do with the campaign. Mm. Um, what is your take on what's going on? Well, first of all, you know, I mean, it's. It's sad to see what the plight of our political system's gone. You know, I hear both sides. You know, you go if you go into the white economic areas of Orange County, where I am all the time, and if you go into the certain areas of South Central, I hear the same thing. Okay, a lot of people say, "Well, we're dealing with the best of the two evils." I mean, uh, you know, we have one. He said, one guy said, "Well, man, how do you respect Donald Trump when he was born in a civil civil schools? My father gave him five million dollars." to start off. How many people get that start? And then uh then you look at Hillary, um it just it, it's just that they, they just don't feel that she's been out in the real world like a Trump in terms of this business dealings and everything else. 
I'm just at the point now in terms of from the, from the political structure of everything, when everybody starts bad mouthing Trump, well, Washington, if, 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 if you don't like what's going on, you create the Trumps of the world. That's why he's there. Hmm. See, the, 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 the public, the public is fed up with what's going on in the country, right. both from, from abroad and from the domestic standpoint. Now, 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 if, if Trump gets in there, if he can do a fourth of what he says he can do, I'll be happy. If he can deal with the, the border situation with Mexico, if he can deal with the free trade situation with China, can, can he deal with the ISIS situation in, in the Muslim situation? He, he, he complains there's a problem with How's he going to deal with that? Now, is, is Hillary going to fix everything on the other side based on the economics and the job situation and all the issues, that we got, the social issues we got going on? I think, frankly, uh, with the two candidates, I think – the Democratic side, uh, Bernie Sanders really took it hard. I mean, he he got knocked around. Now a lot of people think said he sold out. He should have just, just held his guns, just walked away, and and been that that defiant guy he was talking about with his so-called uh, political revolution. Now, in my opinion, if he had just stepped away, that have been that that have been saying a loud, clear message. So, I don't know. I mean, the bottom line is, like everybody says. The best of the two evils, <laughs> you know. That's what it's from the Republican standpoint and Democrat. And now you got some. They got now you got the Libertarians start to step in here and trying to derail it as well. So I really don't know. And you got to you got to realize if you look at the general, you look at the general United States public. How many people are really going to vote? Two percent, five percent. Who's really going to go to the polls? As I always say, if, if you don't go vote, I don't want to hear you bitching the day after. Exactly. <laughs> well, that, that 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 that's that's absolutely right. And I mean, I, and you know, I was I was down at CW Chris is a fish place in South Central, and I was talking to these to these five black guys. And they you know they all said you know, they recognized me coming in there and said they said they said well you know something what difference does it make? It's not going to affect my life. Why should I go to the polls? It's not going to affect me one way or another. So. Whatever. Uh, he said, I'll just look back, I'll just drink me some soda pop and even some catfish and just watch it and see who wins. That's what he's, that's what he's I mean, and, that, and, that, and that's really what the general attitude is on both struct, uh, socioeconomic structures, both in, in and I, I, veer, I view all this stuff from Orange County versus South Central, and I hear both the same thing. Oh, exactly. From both, at, at, for, for, I hear from both, both standpoints. Yeah. Everybody thinks everybody thinks it's one of the worst times in our political system. Oh yeah, I think oh, I, agree. I, I think we take a push and uh, start all over and, and go through it again next year. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's 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 just unbelievable. I mean, you know, you talk, you know, I mean, I mean, like people people are shocked. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. People are just shocked. A lot of people think if if Hillary wins it, Bill it's going to be Bill Clinton's third presidency. <laughs> well, you know, that's not too far from the truth, AD. <laughs> It, right. You know, AD, today, you know, it's it's streaming like crazy that the the chairman of the RNC, they said an insider stated, which actually probably means his press secretary leaked it. But what they're saying is they've they've tried to reel him in, and now what they're doing is they're they're planning for an, for an exit strategy, in case if if Trump gets, as they say pissed off and leaves well here's the thing mm -hmm. here's the thing i mean trump is already i mean in a, in a, in a, in a sense he's already setting up his uh, exit strategy exactly. I, heard, I heard him uh earlier this week 
say uh, something like, "If I don't win, it, it, it would have been it will have been a colossal waste of time and money." Uh, and uh, and he says, "You know, the whole system's rigged." You know, if you have people supporting you and you're talking like that, it sounds like to me that you're 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 setting up your own uh, downfall. And fur furthermore, you know, regardless of how you feel about anybody's uh, politics, I've never heard a candidate come in and say, if I don't win, it's been a colossal waste of time and money. I believe everybody who I've seen in my lifetime who's run for office, whether I agreed with what they wanted to do or not, felt that they had something to offer our country and felt that the, with, with they were the best person for the job and didn't feel whether they won or lost, it was a colossal waste of time or money. And they felt that they got their, their point across and that might not have resonated with everybody, but at least people heard what they had to say and kind of heard what their thoughts are the best way to move the country. Well, I, I, to, I totally agree with that. I mean, look, the no-nonsense thing about our country right now is that people want to see, people want to see serious change. Exactly. The, the people, want, people want serious jobs. People want opportunity. They want that opportunity back. And, the, and you can say what everyone about Barack Obama and what's going on and stuff. They just want to see change and fundamental change, serious change. And whatever that is, whoever is the president, they better do, they, I mean, they better do, do something. Because I believe whatever happens, whoever becomes the president, and this is my opinion looking down the road, if they don't do major change, that both via the Democratic Party, Republican Party, you're going to see, you're going to see public anarchy. You're not trying to riot. You're going to see people never going out to vote. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, that's what I believe is going to happen. People will, ne people will stop bloating. They'll look at it and laugh at it like it's a joke. They will not participate in, in this political process, period. You got a good point. A.D., last but not least, the book, uh, how to, uh, Kick Off Concussion, How the Notre Dame Killer Recovered His Brain. Uh, tell us a little bit about your book and tell everybody where they can find it. Well, you know, it's it's, it's, it's doing well. Is uh, you can get my book on Lulu dot com and Amazon. It it talks about you know uh, you know my issues with the brain situation, being the first guy to get his brain scanned of one hundred fifty four fifty fifty NFL players, and and uh, and I and it talks about how I was well well educated in terms of how to deal with you know concussions. I mean, in post football. I mean, unfortunately, you know, uh, the game of football is a great game, but it's also it's a dangerous game. And and I've always emphasized that you know with the National Football League since this that was the center of all the controversy with the movie coming out concussion and, and everything of that sort. I believe I've always like I've always said you know the, the NFL is great, but also the NFL is a brand. The men that played the game who made the brand, I think they need to take care of these guys and look even closer and stuff for the future. And and that's all I say. Just take care of them. And you read when you read this book, you, you it's a good read and. Uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, of course, broke the forward on it. Who, who set up the, set the, in the the tone in terms of scanning these guys and and making sure awareness of what, what what concussions can do to you when you play the game of football, and then also too, you know, extends from all kind of different, all the different other sports, you know, boxing, MMA, you know, soccer, you know, and then the. the the more, one of the most devastating thing outside of the book and everything that's part of is what the soldiers the soldiers suffer from when they come back traumatic train trauma and stuff like that. So, uh, so I advise people to go out and read the book and and, and, and you'll enjoy it. Absolutely, thank you, Ad. 
as always, we want to thank you for joining us on the show and, and have a chance to, to chat with the, the, the one and only Anthony Davis. And uh, we'll talk to you again next time, brother. All right. Thank you. You guys enjoy your night. All right. You too, brother. Thanks, Thanks Andy. The wonderful Anthony Davis, everybody. And uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. I want to thank Jack Struble for, uh, for sitting in with us and then chatting and uh, telling us about his book. Uh, as always, on Thursdays, I'll be co-hosting with Xander Gibb on XRAD Daily at 5 p.m. Pacific. And you can find that at uh, blogtalkradio.com and under Xandermonium. And look forward to doing that. Jack, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show tonight, and it's always a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Keith. Well, one more time, let everybody know where they can find your book. You can find it on our website, www.majorviolators.com, or on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Excellent. And as I always say, dream as if you'll live forever, live as if you'll die today. Good night, all. The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors.